This is Game On, discussing the biggest games and all the latest sports news with Johnny Montabano and Hank and Dichter on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. How's it going, guys? Hank here, back with you for another episode of Game On on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. And today, unfortunately, we do not have Johnny with us today. However, for filling in for Johnny today, we've got my good buddy who just revived his show, The 3 and D, the one, the only, Paul Lombardi. Paul, how's it going? And welcome back. It feels great to be doing another show with you. Awesome. I'm glad to be back and glad that we got to tip off the 3 and D this week. Um, got some more stuff coming and, you know, of course, always an honor to come on your show, Hank. Awesome. And uh, before we get into the meat and potato things, potatoes of things, I want to give you guys a friendly to make, reminder to make sure to follow us on all of our social medias. And of course, please don't forget to hit that big red button down below on the YouTube channel. Give us a like, give us a comment, let us know your thoughts. We want to hear from you guys. And of course, if you look in the ticker, you can follow all of our social media as well. If you want to see where you can find us doing our thing on the old tweet tweet. And of course, last but not least, yours truly has a few blogs up his sleeves. And uh, I actually just dropped another one. You can check that out on the ETB podcast website. And uh, Paul, without further ado, let's start off with uh, your sport, the NBA. And um, let's talk about the Denver Nuggets sweeping the Los Angeles Lakers in four straight games. This is the first ever NBA Finals appearance for the Denver Nuggets, and this is a team with a really great story, and I'm happy to see Nikola Jokic playing in the NBA Finals. Paul, what were your thoughts after this uh, big sweep? Yeah, I think it's incredible. I honestly thought it was best-case scenario. Going into the playoffs, I wanted to see – either the Nuggets or the Clippers end up making mm-hmm. it far and making it far just, you know, cause I'm a Kawhi fan. So I, so I, and I feel bad for that franchise, but I also felt bad for the Nuggets too. It was best case scenario. Thank God they beat the Lakers, knocked them out. Um, and it's, it's awesome. I mean, I, this is like, love to see certain guys, um, uh, their legacy be made pretty much. And, you know, Jokic with the two MVPs, if he adds an NBA championship to that, we're talking about an all-time great right here. It, and he already is an all-time great. So I'm bit, I'm excited for it, too. The Nuggets are a fun team to watch, too. You know, they're finally fully healthy this year. Jamal Murray's back. Michael Porter Jr.'s been able to stay healthy for the majority of the season, which he hasn't been able to throughout his career. Um, got some good bench guys with Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown. Like, I think, I think it's going to be an awesome series. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not going to lie, going into the playoffs, I definitely knew the Nuggets had a good chance, but I was a little skeptical because when you look at the West, there's a lot of powerhouses in that conference, but they took down the Suns and, you know, a lot of people thought the Lakers had a chance to upset them. I thought that too. Did you, what was your prediction going into that series? Oh, I thought that I thought the, there was a good chance that the Nuggets were going to win the series. I thought that they should win the series. Um, but again, it was I was on a little bit on edge because you just never know with the Lakers. You never know. Um, 
you know, how they're going to end up playing. You never know with, with a LeBron-led team what's going to happen. But, you know, I, I, a lot of people thought that the Lakers um, were going to do it. I, I stuck true with the Nuggets. I didn't think that they were going to, you know, pull off a sweep, but I did think that they would probably win like six games or something like that, especially the way that they had played earlier in the playoffs. Now, Jokic also made some history during this series. Game three was the game where he had a big triple-double in that game. And I believe he's now got like, what, over well over 100. And then this season alone, he's practically averaged one during the playoffs. And I think without a doubt, he definitely is going to be climbing more and more steps among people's pyramids. I don't know. I don't want to speak for you because I know you've had a really big pyramid that you've uh, talked a good amount about like on our last show. And I've read your blog about that numerous times over the past few years. But um would you, I don't even think it's a stretch to say that he's the greatest player in Denver Nuggets history at this point now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he surpassed Alex English, for sure, or Carmelo, whoever you would you would consider being the best Nugget of all time. Probably English because he played uh, longer with the team. But, um, I th- yeah, I mean, he was like... He's the only uh, he's the only Nugget to win MVP, I'm pretty sure, right? Or did Alex English win one? Um I could be wrong. I feel like Melo won an MVP when he was with the Nuggets one year. No, Melo Mello actually didn't. Melo actually never won an MVP. That's Oh, yeah, that's right, because he was yeah. like stuck with uh, the Kobe Bryants and LeBron Jameses of the world. But Exactly, exactly. He still but, was a scoring king, though, no? Oh, of course. He was a tremendous player. And um, But I, I, going back to your original question, I completely think that Jokic is the best Nugget of all time. I mean, he's the only one to ever lead them to an NBA Finals even if they don't win the series, they've at least made made it to one for the first time in franchise history. But yeah, this was pretty much an easy sweep. And the Lakers actually had their shot in game four. LeBron had that missed shot at the very end. And there's been a lot of speculation that this could be the end for LeBron James. But Nick said it on uh, Empty the Bench. And I find this very hard to believe that LeBron could go out like this because knowing the competitive nature of King James, if you want to even call it that, I don't see him wanting to go out after a really bad playoff series loss. What about you? No, I don't see it either. I definitely don't see that happening. Um, I think it's all just kind of like um, drama to like keep his name relevant throughout since he didn't make it to the finals, partly, I think. But I don't think that he's truly considering retirement. I think that he's still going to play – another year or two, um, at least finish out that contract. He's going to at least try to, um, I, I don't see, I don't see him like retiring, especially, especially that way. But again, you know, you never know. I mean, he has been playing for 20 years, so it's, it's really up to him to figure out like when enough is enough. Well, I also think he wants to play with uh, his son, Bronny Jr., that's that's the other thing. That's the other thing. He always talked about that, but he but he actually uh, tracked back on those on that statement um, like last week by saying by saying that um like even though it's his dream, it may not be Bronny's dream, which is really which is a really, really weird thing to say. Um, but I mean, we know that that's we know he's been wanting to do that for sure. Um, I don't really know what that comment was about, but. Maybe he said that in the event that maybe they don't end up being teammates. But, I mean, that would pre- that would be pretty nuts if that were the case. But I also feel pretty bad for Bronny Jr. Because 
look at all those big shoes he'd have to fill. And I don't really mean any big pun in there. Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. But um, as far as the Lakers go, I think they're definitely going to have a lot of question marks during the offseason to answer now. Oh, yeah. They're going to have a lot of question marks. I mean, they got a bunch. They got a couple guys free agents. Austin Reeves is a free agent. D'Angelo Russell is a free agent. So what, so what are you going to do with them? I mean, you know, LeBron, I guess, like the uncertainty, too, around him if he's truly considering retiring. Um, they, and they overall, they need to get a better team, too, if they want to be competitive. I mean, they haven't put together a good enough team last few years and it's not so much of a shock that they um, weren't had didn't make it to the NBA finals the last couple of years because of the way the team was put together. Um, I think outside of like LeBron and Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis is also always hurt, which kills them. LeBron gets hurt a lot now um, at his old age. So they, they're going to have to do a lot this off season and they're going to have to try to extend some guys. They're going to have to, Try to make some decisions if they go in other directions. Um, you know, besides besides re-signing D'Angelo Russell or re-signing Austin Reeves, and yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely there is going to be a lot of questions to be asked. But why don't we switch gears and talk about the other series? Now, this one, I think we all thought that the series was going to be short after the Heat one up through nothing. I mean, you saw a lot of people trolling the Celtics as being probably one of the only team, probably the only team to ever have a three, nothing deficit to a number eight seed in the, in the conference finals. But Paul, you got to give the Celtics some credit, like, cause they fought back. They won that insane nail biting game six on Derek White's buzzer beater going to game seven. What, what were your thoughts? I honestly thought that the Celtics were going to win it. I thought that the, they were going to they were going to end the series in Game Seven. Um, I mean, you got to give it to them. They were down three zero. It's it was pretty amazing. I mean, obviously, no one's ever come back from a three zero lead in basketball before. So it was they were trying to make history. Played especially tremendous in games five in games four and five um, to to make it a three to two series. And in Game Six, they really should not have won that game. Um, you know, if if Miami was boxing out, you know, they wouldn't have won it. But, um, again, though, they were able to pull it out, and it made it an interesting one. I, I give a lot of credit to them because they they had a tremendous season, um, you know, made it to the NBA Finals last year. I know a lot of Celtics fans are going to, like, are going to consider it a letdown since, you know, they, they, they um, you know, even they lost that series even though they were down 3-0 and started to come back. Um, I know they'll be disappointed that they lost that series, but they, they also have a couple of interesting things to do this offseason. They got to figure out Jalen Brown's contract situation. If they give him that max extension, or if they decide they want to move on, maybe sign and trade him for a huge package. Uh, it'd be, it's going to be very interesting to see what they decide to do. Yeah, definitely. And, but you also have to give credit to the Miami heat where credit is due. I mean, Jimmy Butler, without a doubt, was the MVP of that series. And, you know, he's the true leader of that squad. He puts them on his back. And for the second time in four years, he has led them to an NBA Files. And he was he was also one away from uh, making it three, three times in the last four years. But this guy is definitely a Miami Heat legend and, you know, props to him. But 
the thing that impresses me a lot about this about this Miami Heat team, they've gotten a lot of contributions from some of their undrafted heroes. Caleb Martin, in particular, was absolutely balling in Game Seven. Yeah, Caleb Martin's been amazing. Gabe Vincent too. Like the the amount of big shots that he hit in the Knicks series and this past series, unbelievable. And it just goes to show you how um, how good of a coach Spolstra is because you see the the pieces that helped them win that series. I mean, Jimmy Butler's a stud. Bam Adebayo's a stud. But you get so much support from Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and Caleb Martin, like the way that they did. It's unbelievable. All three undrafted guys that you know were started off on like two way contracts. I know Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin signed a two way contract to start this season. Um, and then they they promoted him. So I know that that was recently, and Gabe Vincent was as recent as last year. Um, and then they're starting in playoff games. Then you got, you got Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love coming off your bench, too. Like, the the depth is good. Um, they did a great job of this previous offseason and um, and during the trade deadline when they, when they ended up um, – well, they ended up signing Kevin Love, but right around the middle of the season when they were able to get him, they did a good job of, you know, getting those pieces. And I'm, it doesn't surprise me. They're, they're a da- they were a dangerous eight seed when, you know, when you saw that they were going to be in the playing tournament, they lost that first game too. Um, and, you know, oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, they should have been the seventh seed. <laughs> and things would have been completely different if they were the uh, seventh seed. I have no idea. They would have had a completely different route to the Eastern Conference Finals. So who knows what would have happened? But um, yeah, I think that like they're a different eight seed. I mean, second eight seed ever to make it to the NBA Finals. Uh, we all know the other one it wasn't weren't able to beat the Spurs, but um, I'm they're they're great. I mean, like they they were in the NBA Finals three years ago in the bubble, um, and yeah, they're like they're a dynamic team. It, if if there's anyone you trust in the league, Spolstra. Oh my gosh. And you've seen the path to how he rose up and became one of the best head coaches too. Wasn't he the director of uh, the, uh, the video coordinators? Like yeah. in his mid twenties, he became one of their head scouts. He's an assistant coach. And then he gets named the head coach in 2008. And 15 years later, he's not only still there, but now he's in his, I believe this is this is his fifth or sixth uh, six finals because he yeah. made four with LeBron James and then the two post LeBron and I think it was maybe like either after LeBron or probably during the middle of the LeBron, LeBron era that people really began to realize he was one of the best coaches in the NBA. Oh, absolutely! And the crazy thing is LeBron tried to run him out of Miami too. That was that's the craziest part about it. And uh, and uh, what do you call it? Pat Riley stood up for him. But, but yeah, this is like his sixth NBA Finals trip, um, and you know the way that he came up too. You know he wasn't an NBA player. He played he played D one basketball at Portland, um, so he wasn't even a big time player. He was actually um, kind of a sad story, but a little fun tidbit is um, he was on the court when Hank Gathers uh, collapsed. Oh yeah, and that's were, right. yeah. He was Spolstra was the uh, starting point guard from Portland, and they're playing against Loyola Marymount in that game. A little bit of a of a sad but interesting fact uh, about Spolstra. So, um, yeah, and that was why wasn't he the reason why Chris Bosh had to essentially quit because he knew about 
Hank gathers his health and he didn't want to see the same thing happen to Chris Bosch. Exactly. That's why Chris Bosch couldn't come back to play for the Heat because Spolster told him that he's not going to play him if if he tries to come back. uh, Now, now, speaking of um, Eric Spolstra and coaching fun facts, did you know that Pat Riley has been part of the last 25% of the NBA Finals? I didn't know that until... Uh, the, until the he uh, won that game, it's honestly pretty incredible. Some of those little tidbits, like the uh, the last however many um, NBA Finals have had a teammate of Shaq's. Um, I'm not sure if that's if that lasted this year though, because it's, I don't, no one uh, or Udonis Haslam actually was his teammates with Shaq when he was on the Heat, so it would have lasted this long again. It would keep going. There also was another one I remember seeing in years past about former Knicks making it into the finals every single year. Yep. I think that, um, I think that is still going. I, I saw something, um, trying to remember who was, who is it that made it? Um, who is it on the Nuggets? There's, there's somebody on the Nuggets and Heats that, um, that played for the Knicks. So that streak is still going. Um, well, I know it would have kept going had the Celtics won because Danilo Gallinari, who I still remember from 2010-2011. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, that, I know. It's pretty amazing. Like the Pat Riley thing, 25% of all NBA Finals. I mean, dude's just a legend. Well, because remember, he played for the Lakers too, in addition to yeah. coaching the Showtime era. He was the, uh, many forget that he actually was the assistant for Magic's first title. Cause, and uh, I got a little trivia question for you for that. Who was the head coach of that team? It was Paul Westfall, right? Westhead. Westhead. There you go. Yep. He was, um, and, then, and then he became Loyola Marymount's head coach. Yes. For, that, for Hank Gathers. Yep. So. Also, another uh, another little tidbit. Do you know Kevin Love has never uh, made it to the playoffs without reaching the NBA Finals? I, di- I saw that. I didn't know that until, uh, until like yesterday, but I, I saw that on Twitter too. That's why you got to love Twitter. I mean, you figure out like all these – little informations uh, that are extremely irrelevant, but just kind of fun to know. And yeah, I mean, the whole Knicks thing, the whole Shaq thing is crazy. I think the Shaq thing is still going on. And it's like, it's, it's been every NBA finals since like the seventies, I think somehow like the late seventies or something. Like when Shaq was like a rookie, like he played with somebody from like the late seventies and it's just, it's been going on forever. That's nuts. And well, I got to say, you want to know what I think the safest bet about this NBA Finals is? What? Nicola will win his first ever NBA title and raise the Larry O'Brien trophy. You think so? Yeah, because you remember there's a Nicola on the Miami Heat, too. That's true. Yeah, Nicola Jovic. <laughs> Nicola Jovic. That's true. I mean, you could definitely bet that. That's a guarantee. Yeah, I had you going there for a little bit. You did have me going. Completely forgot about that. <laughs> I know. It's funny how they're literally one letter off. But yeah, no, it's definitely. And I think we honestly got the best matchup possible with regards to the NBA Finals. But we will get into a little bit of our NBA Finals predictions a little bit later because we've had some interesting news regarding the coaching fronts. The Philadelphia 76ers ended up hiring Nick Nurse to be their head coach. So you ready for a lame pun? You went from a doc to a nurse, and now that's your head coach. Yep. 
I, I saw that. I saw that. So what were your thoughts, Paul, on this hire? Because I think that definitely makes sense. And quite frankly, I'm still shocked that Toronto even let him go. But at the same time, after, you know, them having a decline, somebody had to be the sacrificial lamb for them sooner or later. And I think the Sixers definitely made a good hire. Although I do have to say their window of opportunity, I think, is starting to close somewhat. Yeah, it all depends on what James Harden decides to do this offseason and if he leaves, how they replace him. But I think I think it was a great hire because I I thought it was dumb for the Raptors to fire him. I thought that he okay. was they I thought he was a great head coach. I mean, he won the NBA championship in his in his first year there. Um, but I also think that like they were underperforming over the last couple of years is more roster based than coaching based, in my opinion. Um, I didn't really think that that he did a like a whole bad job. But again, you know, once when you're not performing up to par, though, somebody. He's going to, somebody has to get canned and it's usually the head coach that gets blamed first. So makes sense. I think it was a good hire for the Sixers. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if Doc Rivers lands back on his feet because he's a finalist for the Suns job, apparently. So seems like that might be like his last chance. I mean, look, regardless of whether or not you think that Doc Rivers was the problem, the fact of the matter is all those game seven losses, that's, you know, that's what we like to call a trend. So you'd yeah. like to think that maybe he can finally turn that label around should he get hired by the Phoenix Suns. But at the end of the day, whether it's really fair or not, you're going to hear a lot of skeptics regarding the hiring of Doc Rivers. But with that being said, I agree with you. I think this is definitely a good hire for the Philadelphia 76ers and Hopefully they can somehow get a deal done with uh, James Harden, but now they're still, you know, wondering whether the process really was a fail because, gosh, I can't imagine being a fan of that team having been promised uh, future success with so many, like, historically bad seasons. But, however, the other hiring we have to talk about, this one, in my opinion, was kind of uh, unexpected. The Milwaukee Bucks wound up hiring Adrian Griffin, who I believe was the assistant for the Toronto Raptors. So the Raptors are pretty much going to have to really start from scratch with their uh, coaching staff. But uh, Paul, what was your reaction to this one? Because that was not a name that I that I saw come. In fact, I think this was pretty out of the blue. Yeah, it was pretty out of the blue. I think that um, he had been in line for head coaching jobs for a while now. Um, he's been an assistant since like 2008. Um, so I think, I think it was a good, I think it was a pretty solid move. I mean, he played in the NBA, obviously his son plays for the Hawks, AJ Griffin. Um, so he's, yeah, he's been a long time assistant. You know, he was an assistant under some good teams too. Was the, was an assistant, uh, under Scott Brooks was assistant in San Antonio. I'm pretty sure for a period of time. Um, you know, it's, I think it was a good hire. I think that. A lot of he's gotten some interviews over the last couple of years and hasn't been able to close the deal on that job. But you know he's been an assistant every year since 2008, so it's definitely definitely time to give him a chance. I think I think it's good, and we'll see what happens. Um, the Bucks seem very thrilled about. It. I think Giannis was was very thrilled that they hired him. Um, so we'll see. I mean he's inheriting a pretty good team, so we'll see how he uh, how he does it. Well, to piggyback on what you just said, it's what I like to call the uh, 16-year-old on his birthday getting the keys to a fancy new Maserati. So 
I think he definitely should be looking forward to that with his first ever coaching job after so long. Although I definitely was expecting to see more along the lines of, uh, say, Monty Williams. Although you told me you didn't think Monty Williams was probably going to get another head coaching opportunity or wasn't going to be that interested. But um, yeah, what about Mark Jackson? Was that a name that you thought was going to be somebody that would have been hired by anybody? Or it, it seems like every offseason, Mark Jackson gets one or two interviews. So mm-hmm. I, I honestly, when I saw that, that he got the interview, I didn't believe too much into it. Um, I'm not really sure what the big thing is that they don't want, that nobody really wants to hire him back. Um, but I saw that and it didn't surprise me. Um, I saw Mike D'Antoni too. I mean, he's always, he's always in the mix for like those, for good jobs. Kenny Atkinson too. Um, Kenny Atkinson could legitimately, uh, land one of the jobs, but apparently it came out today though, that the Pistons are going big for Monty Williams. They want Monty Williams badly playing on offering him a ton of money. So we'll see. I mean, he still owed a lot of money by the Suns, and there's the rumors that he wanted to step away from basketball for a little bit, be with his family, all that kind of stuff. So that, so it'll be interesting. Just made if, you know, just made things very interesting if he ends up going to the Pistons. Owed a lot of money by the Suns. Well, I think there's a certain word that I have for that. Severance! So, yeah, no, just had to throw that little uh, line out there. But, yeah, that's pretty much the reason why I wouldn't really feel too badly for Monty Williams in that sense. But uh, some other NBA news, we had a few GMs stepping down. Well, actually, no, one stepped down, but the other was an unexpected firing. But Let's first talk about Bob Myers, who was the general manager for the Golden State Warriors and also the president. And essentially, he was the architect of the four-time NBA champions that featured Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green over the years. And um, do you think, Paul, that there's a lot of drama up at the top? Or do you think this is a guy who pretty much just wanted to step out and leave on his own terms? I thought it was very interesting. I thought that, um, you know, he probably just wanted to step out on his own terms. I, I'd be shocked if he's not in the race for, for other head coaching jobs. Uh, I mean, for other front office jobs, um, because he did a tremendous job, as you were saying, with the Warriors, uh, kind of architecting that entire team, putting that entire team together, you know, hiring Steve Kerr. Um, they, it's, it's interesting, but there's always a difference in opinion you know, probably between him and the rest of the front office. He had been there a while. You know, you always see guys bounce around in front offices too. So it's huge news because he's going to get an insane amount of phone calls. Anybody who is in any bid looking for a new GM or a new president of basketball operations is going to be on him. So he, he definitely won't have too hard to find a job if he wants to jump right back into it. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And look, if it is true that he is like stepping down, like probably because he wanted to go out on top, then I have to say that's something that you very rarely see. Not so much in terms of uh, the NBA, but really in all sports when you have a good executive who pretty much built a team. Because remember where the Warriors were when he came in and became the president. Like, they were kind of the laughing stock of the, or I don't know if I want to say the laughing stock, but they really weren't all that relevant. And 
when they had that playoff run in 2013, I believe that was really when Steph, Steph Curry had his breakout season. That, oh, was their, that was their first playoff. That was only the second playoff appearance they've had in, in um, the millennium. And the other one was when they had that crazy run at the eighth seed. So it really just goes to show you how much of an impact he had as the GM. And he built a team that, might are, might be in the discussion for what was what may very well be the greatest team in NBA history. So that's yeah. definitely something for him to hang his hat around, and I'm sure he probably will get inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame when it's all said and done. But having said that, I don't know that he's necessarily um, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be out of a job for too long, too much longer, if he even wants another job. But yeah. Definitely um, have to give him pride of work on his due. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with that. Um, if he wants the job, he's going, he'll get one immediately. But he's future Hall of Famer, did a tremendous job with the Warriors. And, you know, he's going to go down as I'm sure he'll get inducted into their Hall of Fame as well, um, as well as the NBA Hall of Fame or Basketball Hall of Fame, I should say. Um, yeah, just an all around amazing career. And now, of course, we got to talk about. Scott Perry, the Knicks GM, and this is an, the type of news that I literally woke up to this morning, and I'm I'm like thinking, what the hell? Like, no. the Knicks had a good turnaround season. Yeah, you're uh, only the second playoff win, series win in the millennium. Looks like things are on the up and up for the Knicks, and now of course they part ways and. I'm sorry, but as a Knicks fan, this just has me wondering, oh, no, did uh, James Dolan, like, stick his hand into the cookie jar yet again? Do you think there could be um, some friction up at the top there with the New York Knicks? Well, of course, there definitely could be. I mean, when it comes to James Dolan, you never you never know what's going, to go, what's going on behind closed doors. But, yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, I woke up to the news, too, and thought it was a bit of a head-scratcher. Um you know, he's done he's done a very solid job over the last few years acquiring um acquiring like the players through the draft and making some good signs. I mean the Jalen Brunson signing was amazing. The Julius Randle signing ended up being great. Um and you know, a bunch of his draft picks, Obi Top and Manuel Quickly, uh Mitchell Robinson, RJ Barrett, they're all very solid players. So he's definitely done a good job. Um it's it'll be interesting to see which direction they go. Because Leon Rose is, you know, the president, so if they were, it, it's it'd be tough to imagine that they'd hire they'd hire Bob Myers to be the GM, like underneath him, um, after being the president and having such a great track record with the Warriors. But I'm sure that that's a direction that they're going that they're at least considering, um, or hiring from within. I mean, they might they might be ready to. Uh, hire somebody new, and maybe Scott Perry was just looking for uh, for other opportunities. Yeah, again, we'll see. And it's some on uh, Paul. Does this um, does this have you concerned about the Knicks' future at all? I mean, the reason I'm concerned is because, like I said, if you know the history of the Knicks, and I don't mean to sound like you know a Debbie Downer, but 50 years without a title, and most of our lives, we've pretty much known the Knicks to be, you know, dysfunctional. And I'm sure. Johnny could vouch for both of us on that since he's older than us and 
he remembers when the Knicks made finals runs and how far they've fallen ever since then. Yeah. And yeah. go ahead. Oh, no, no. Um, I was just going to say, yeah, like it's definitely true. Um, you know, of course you worry about that. I don't think it'll affect the team too much. I'm not too worried about that. I mean, I feel like Leon Rose makes a lot of the decisions. Uh, anyway, you know, Scott Perry is a good basketball mind. Uh, you know, he's done he's definitely been frustrating throughout his, uh, throughout his time with the Knicks. You know, he's made some frustrating calls, but, um, you know, he was, he was very solid and, um, definitely takes, it definitely might take a step backwards, but well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who they try to bring in. Um, it all depends on who they bring in as their new GM to see if it's an upgrade or to see if it's a downgrade. Yeah, for sure. But anyways, now let's go back to the NBA finals. And Paul, we definitely have a lot to talk about there. And right off the bat, I don't know about you, but this is definitely a finals matchup that I personally am looking forward to. Somebody is pretty much going to cement their status as an all-time NBA legend. Absolutely. No, I think that Jokic especially – um, you know, after winning the two MVPs, an NBA title will be huge. And Jimmy Butler, though, too. I mean, Jimmy Butler's been an amazing player over the last several years, and he made it to the NBA Finals um, a, a few years ago. But if he's able to get them over the edge and win in the NBA Finals, that's that that catapults him into a Hall of Famer easily. Um, and, you know, pot arguably, like, in the conversation to be on a pyramid, you know, to be in a top 75, if you want to do that, or a top 50. Um, you know, Jokic, I think, has already implemented that with, with the numbers he's put up, but an NBA championship would just catapult him even further. It'd be That would be absolutely crazy. There's two big legacies that are on the line, um, you know, with this, with this uh, finals going on. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see um, I think it's two evenly matched teams, though, too. That's that's the thing I like about it. I think they're both very gritty teams. Uh, they have a great supporting cast. So it, it could go – it's very difficult to, you know, think which way it's going to go. I have some thoughts, but it's it could go it could go many different ways. And by the way, I was just, like, Googling just to make sure you were right. Yes, Jokic is the only player in Denver Nuggets history to have won in uh, NBA MVP award. Alex English did win a scoring title though. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. But uh, anyways, back to the uh, finals. Honestly, I think this is going to go either way, but the thing about it for me is I really don't think it is going to be a short series at all. I think the nuggets have a little bit of an advantage because they have, they've had a lot of time to rest and prepare for their, future NBA opponent in this finals. But ultimately I think that while the heat have had a good story in getting to the finals as the eighth seed, I just think the nuggets are destined to win their first ever NBA championship. Give me nuggets and six. Yeah. I, I'm going to agree with you and take one up. I'm going to go nuggets and seven. Um, It's well, just like you, I mean, praying that we get a game seven in the NBA finals. That's, that's the best possible thing ever. But um, I think it's going to be, the series is going to go deep. Um, I completely agree with you. And I think it could go either way, but I like the nuggets slightly as of right now. Um, you know, my view may change before game one. Um, 
by within like the next day or so, but it's probably probably won't. The, but I, I've I've got slight edge for the Nuggets. I think that I think the the big um time that they had off is all is a big advantage too. Like you were saying, you know, the the Heat are coming off of a gritty seven game series, and the Nuggets have had a week off um after you know sweeping the Lakers. So I think that that's that's going to play a big factor um into especially right out of the gate how both teams play. You know, you might see the Nuggets a lot, a lot fresher in, in beginning of game one, especially because of that. So I give them, give the Nuggets a little bit of the edge as well. I think they're a slightly better team. I think they're both very evenly matched, but it's, I'm going to go with them in seven. I'm going to manifest a game seven in the NBA finals to see, you know, how amazing that would be. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, no, definitely interesting. That being said, I would not be the least bit surprised if somehow Miami were to find a way to take this finals because, you know, I've often said in a lot of other shows, experience does matter. And, you know, they've made it for, they've made it far a lot with Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra has been there a lot and he knows how to coach a big game. So it's not like it would definitely be a surprise, but I think ultimately the nugget the Nuggets just have too much star power, and I think that might be very difficult for Miami to overcome. And like I said, I think I, I think Jokic is just destined. It's it's been proven a lot this year during the playoffs that he's going to finally win that NBA championship. And now let's move on a little bit to the uh, NHL because the Stanley Cup playoffs have pretty much been uh, locked as well, and. I'm going to start with the Eastern Conference because that series also ended pretty quickly. The Florida Panthers are on their way to the Stanley Cup Finals for the first time since 1996. And, you know, it's funny. They and the the Miami Heat, you know that Spider-Man meme where they're pointing at each other? Both of them are essentially eighth seeds. And the Florida Panthers actually had the least amount of points going into the Stanley Cup class. And you looked at how lo- loaded all the Eastern Conference teams were. Paul, what was your reaction to the Florida Panthers and their uh, trip to the finals? I thought it was awesome. I mean, it was it was incredible how well they played uh, down the stretch. And the East was so interesting. I mean, obviously, the Rangers ended up losing, but the Devils and the Hurricane series was crazy. Um, and I, I think that the... I think it's cool though that the Panthers made it again, similar to my take on the Nuggets and the Heat making it. It's like a little bit of disparity too. Like you get something different, you know, not like the powerhouses like Tampa Bay and all of those teams that have been making throughout the years. But I, I like it. They they have a good squad. You know, they have a legitimate chance to win too. I think. Yeah, absolutely, and. You know, it's amazing because last year, remember how we made fun of the Bruins because they blew a three games to one lead. And fun fact, by the way, Boston is the first city to lose two home game sevens to an eighth seeded team in the same year. And um, blog idea for another day, by the way, maybe I'll make a list of the top 10 uh, Boston teams choking this millennium because for all the success we talk about, there have been plenty of bad losses that that city has endured over the course of the uh, millennium. But Back to the Florida Panthers for a, for a bit. You know, it didn't look like this was a team that was better than the year before. I mean, remember, they were the President's Trophy. They barely edge out the Capitals, and they got swept by the Tampa Bay Lightning. And going into the offseason, I didn't necessarily think that they got better. I mean, 
I love that they got Matthew Kachuk. He is an absolute stud, and I think any Ranger fan will agree with me that we would love to have him on our team, and it's shown during the playoffs. But when they got him, they also gave up some some good depth. They got rid of uh, Jonathan Huberto, who is one of the faces of their franchises, and then they also got rid of one of their best defensemen in, uh, in uh, Mackenzie Weger. But as it turned out, they get into the playoffs. They only get in by one point, too, because it's amazing. You look at what's happened to the Pittsburgh Penguins. If you reverse any one of their bad moves that they've made over the past, say, half decade, they're probably in the playoffs, and we're not even having this conversation about the Florida Panthers. But it just goes to show you that if you get in the dance and you have a really good team and you have a lot of depth, anything can happen. And Matthew Kachuk during the playoffs has been absolutely phenomenal. 21 points, nine goals, and he got the game winner in, I believe, three of the game, at least three of the games that they won in the sweep against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. And, you know, going back to that first round series against the Boston Bruins, they pretty much got stronger from the moment they won game five after that near elimination experience. And then, you, you know, they took out the Maple Leafs pretty easily in five games. And then the conference finals, again, it didn't even feel like a sweep because three of the, they were all pretty close games, but Three of them end up into overtime, and then Matthew Kachuk ends up being a big hero. And Sergei Bobrovsky, man, that guy has been playing absolutely lights out. He had a stretch, by the way, where he stopped 110 goals. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. I know. I mean, like, they're so locked in right now that it's it's tough to see them. Um, yeah, I mean, Vegas is, is amazing as well, though. So, you know, you can't... You can't um, ride them off just yet, but it's, I think that it's very—it's going to be a very interesting series for sure. Yeah, absolutely. But now, of course, I think we should segue that to the Western Conference series in the uh, Vegas Golden Knights and the uh, Dallas Stars, and that I think the Stars definitely put in a bit of a scare on the Golden Knights. I mean, they're down three games, to nothing. You had that horrible. Jamie Ben hit. And by the way, to go off on a little side tangent about that hit, Paul, I don't know if you saw that clip, but that was one of the dirtiest hits that I had ever seen by a guy in the playoffs. And the way the stars lost that series, the way their fans reacted and the way he acted after that hit, I'm going to be honest. I feel no sympathy for the Dallas stars whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. I saw it very briefly. Like when it, when it happened, um, but it was it was nuts. But exactly like it's the their fan base was crazy throughout the entire series. Um, and it's difficult to you know to want somebody to win like that. I mean, it was great that that they were down three zero. They made it three two. Um, you know, they actually they did give them a little bit of a scare there. But Vegas's star power is just insane. And did Eichel end up scoring in that last game? Because I know he didn't have a goal in the in the entire series to before game six. Yeah, I mean, but that goes to show you how how good that the Golden Knights are. I mean, they've got a lot of depth on that roster. Jack mm-hmm. Eichel is now in the finals for the first time ever in his career, and it's crazy that he got there just before Connor McDavid. And by the way, I'm looking at a game six. No, he actually did not score a goal, but again, it didn't really matter. William Carlson had a few. Jonathan Marchessault had a really good series. 
this is a team that's pretty much loaded. Chandler Stevenson, too. And the crazy part about the Golden Knights, they went through a whole goalie carousel during this year, during like the regular season. And then it's pretty much something that we've seen before with a young goalie coming out of nowhere, helping them to lead the team. But Aiden Hill pretty much became an absolute stonewall during the playoffs. And they've been riding the hot hand, and rightfully so. And as a result, that goes to show you what good coaching can do for a team that's extremely loaded. And by the way, isn't it kind of poetic that their coach, that their coach Bruce Cassidy is there in the finals while the team that just fired him just suffered one of the most embarrassing losses in NHL history? Seriously. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, no, I think this final should be uh, pretty interesting. But, Paul, do you have any particular prediction for how you think it's going to go? It's tough. I think – I do think Vegas probably ends up winning it. Um, but in how many games? I'm going to go six games. Um, I think that's – I think it's going to be – it's going to be another series that's going to be really interesting. Could end up going seven games. Um because, you know, I think both teams are very equally matched. Um, what, what do you think, Hank? See, this is a really tough one. I am going to go Vegas, but in seven games, because with the way he's been playing, I think Sergei Bobrovsky is going to be stealing a game or two, without a doubt, mm-hmm. for the Florida Panthers in Absolutely. here. And I think what might hurt the Florida Panthers is – They've had a lot of rest coming off their sweep of the Carolina Hurricanes, and who knows how teams usually respond after a long layoff. We saw that the Avalanche swept a year ago. Didn't really seem to affect them, but there have been other teams in years past where after they've swept, they'll come out rusty. And hockey players, by nature, don't usually like to have too many days off because then they kind of have to get back into the swing of things. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. could definitely see Vegas winning this in seven but again. Neither result would really surprise me. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the the New York in '94 was the last city that had a simultaneous um, uh, Stanley Cup and NBA Finals run. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. I can't think of anyone else that's that had exactly like right around the same time. And let me touch on the Hurricanes and the Stars for a little bit. The Hurricanes. I mean, look, this was a team that just had a lot of bad luck. They had some injuries to their star players. Tara Vine missed a good amount of time during the playoffs. And then you also lost uh, on uh, Svechnikov after March. And the, who's to say whether or not they would have won had they been completely healthy? But there's a reason why Ranger fans like me were pretty scared of them. But I still think they're going to be a threat next year, but they're going to have a lot of question marks regarding their salary cap. Definitely. And then you go to the Dallas Stars, who have a lot of talent, but they also might be dealing with question marks, too, because you look at their roster, you got Lindell, you got Heaskinen, you got Rupe Hintz, and Jason Robertson. But what might be holding them back is the aforementioned Jamie Denn. And like I said, I'm not really so much saying it because of what he did in Game 3, but look at what they're paying him. You got his contract, and you got Tyler Sagan. Sagan's definitely washed up and he's not been the same since his injuries. I think if they don't find a way, way to move on from one or both of them, I think they could really be screwed in the long term. Yeah. But in any event, should be a lot of fun to watch in the Stanley Cup finals. And we've got a little bit of football news. I believe DeAndre Hopkins has been released by the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, 
Paul, what was your reaction to this? And uh, how long do you think it's going to, it's going to be before somebody finds him? I, I think, it, I think it's going to be pretty quickly. Um, it all depends on who's willing to, to match whatever the money that he's asking for is. Um, it, it surprised me a little bit. I didn't, they were, I knew that they were shopping him. I didn't know if they were going to straight up release him. Like that was, that was a little bit of a surprise, but obviously, um, you know, the good teams are going to be in on him. The The Chiefs and the Bills are two early favorites. Um, I would love him to be on the Chiefs. That would be that'd be pretty fantastic um, to add a guy like Hopkins to a receiver core that's very young and very um, very raw, I would say, too. Uh, the receiving, especially the Chiefs receiving core is definitely, we, we got Marquez Valdez scandling and then who's really the only veteran. And we got a bunch of young guys who are good. Some injury prone. Kadarius Tony is very injury prone, so it's it's interesting to see he would 100 percent help that. Um, he'd help the Bills a lot too, so he really is going to have his choice of places. Um, it may it, it, he he could sign soon, but it also could be one of those things that takes a little while because he may go back and forth with the uh, contract disputes and how much money he wants to get paid and stuff. I know that the original the Chiefs t- talked to him before the draft and. Um, the original price that he was asking if he got released was too high. The, the Chiefs were trying to like negotiate it to be lower. Um, they, they couldn't afford that high of a contract. So it'd be interesting to see who who ends up getting him. Um, and, you know, he was the best wide receiver in football a couple of years ago before the injuries and his suspension last year. So I, I, think, that it's, I think it's a crazy move um, and it's also exciting. I'll tell you what would be the ultimate nightmare scenario. Imagine he goes to, say, the Philadelphia Eagles. And you know, as a Giants fan, I had to say that because look how loaded they are. But I don't know. Well, then again, that would require Howie to do some insane salary cap gymnastics, as I like to call it. And knowing him, I would not put it past him to make a move like that. But I don't think he's going to be a free agent for very long because he is one of the best receivers in the NFL. And there's a lot of really good teams out there that could use an extra receiver. And there's only a handful though, that have an elite quarterback. So who knows at this point, but I could see him coming down to either your chiefs. I think the bills are definitely an option, but I don't know if they are really going to, you know, I don't know if they're as good as people think they are. I think last year's playoff loss really exposed a lot about who they are. And, I'm also going to give you a little bit of a dark horse in there. How about the Miami Dolphins? That's a that would be an amazing one. Um, I mean, there was Tyreek said he's going to retire there, and yep. they're, they're going to have to replace him eventually. So exactly, is and that Tyreek, how he was? And Tyreek is is teasing retiring pretty soon too. I mean, he said that he wants to play out his contract and then retire after that, which is only like two or three more years. Um, so I mean, if you add him with Tyreek and Waddle. I mean, that's a, that's a ridiculous receiving core. Um, it, that would be really interesting to see how that would go. What kind of contract it would take to to get him to go to Miami? But that's that's a dark horse for sure. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. But um, let's go on to our final big topic of this episode. And I actually just dropped a blog on this. If you want to check out our website, as I plugged earlier in the show. You can do that if you want to, but let's talk about the MLB Memorial Day checkpoint. And 
you know, we're looking at a lot of the divisions. I think right off the bat, the American League East is by far the most competitive division in Major League Baseball. I mean, the fact that the Yankees have like 33 wins right now and they're still about, what, five or six games behind the Tampa Bay Rays and even a few behind the Orioles. That really speaks volumes. And the fact that the Rays and the Red Sox, either one of them would be in first place in the Central, that's, that's absolutely ridiculous. I know. No, seriously, I think that the AL East, the AL East has just been crazy. Um, and I don't think that anyone really expected that the Orioles were going to be that good this fast. Um, you know, and their young core is fantastic. Um, they, they're just an exciting team. Tampa Bay is always one of those teams that it's just, you never know what to predict with them because they, it doesn't matter what they look like on paper. They're always going to find a way to win. Sometimes they're going to be as dominant as they are right now. Um, that's, that's just what it comes down to. And then of course the Yankees are always in it. I think the Red Sox are honestly the weakest team in the division, um, which which says a lot because they could probably win and they could probably easily win the AL central if they were in that. Um, but it's, yeah, the AL East has been insane, but it, it's been fun. Like I, I love seeing, all the all of the new young teams start to rise up a little bit. I'm glad that the Orioles now are competitive again, and you know that they have a, a good young core. Yeah, the Orioles. I really like their lineup. You got Ryan Mountcastle. You've got Austin Hayes. Anthony Santander has been pretty good. Gunnar Henderson's a Rookie of the Year candidate. And the tough part about them, though, is Cedric Mullins just got hurt. And you know who they just picked up as a free agent? Yep. Aaron Hicks. So you have to wonder if there's an area to be concerned with the Orioles, because I can tell you from having watched him firsthand as a Yankee fan, I don't know that Aaron Hicks is necessarily an up. Actually, no, he's not an upgrade. I think that's being too kind. He's a downgrade over Cedric Mullins, who really was on his way to an all-star season. But you look at the Orioles as a whole, their pitching staff, I don't think it's as good as Tampa Bay's. I mean, Shane McClanahan on the Rays, I think, is an early Cy Young Award candidate for sure. Oh, absolutely. He's he's got to be. The, he's probably the favorite as of right now, um, in the American I would League. Him and Cole. You're thinking Cole. I'd Cole say him and Cole are pretty much in that discussion. Yeah, him him and Cole are probably one and two. Cole got hit around a little bit this past weekend. But... No, 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 no. I know. I'm not saying Cole will win it outright. I mean, there's still plenty of season to go. But if we were to end today, obviously you're giving it to McClanahan. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, McClanahan's a stud. Um, and you know, their pitching development's always, always unbelievable. They get guys out of nowhere to become stars. Um, and that's that's been the name of the game for them. You know, they don't they don't spend money, and instead, you know, they go with cheap young guys that they just develop tremendously and they just know how to develop pitching um and their and their offense has been ridiculous this year the amount of home runs that they're hitting rosarine is having a stud year um it's it's pretty crazy it's really crazy but they that team is for real too watching them even though watching them against the mets too the advantage of now playing everybody um at least once is i get to i get to see everybody every team in baseball play against the mets at least once um Say watching them play against the Mets when they took two out of three, that's tough. It's a really tough team. Tampa Bay is a really tough team. They're just a, a smart team. They're all around sound. Um, their pitching is good. It's they they're gonna be they're gonna be tough to stick with for anybody. 
throughout the season. And they just got Tyler Glass now back too from an injury. Yeah, exactly. So they they're built for it. Um, you know, I could totally see them winning the division, but I think that even if they win the division, two or three teams from the from the AL East stars are also going to make it um, as wild cards. Yeah, I would agree. And you look at that lineup too with the Rays, Franco, Rosarena, Brandon Lau, Josh Lowe, Yandy Diaz. A lot of them have had great years. And look, again, I know it's pretty early, but I definitely think they're for real. Whether they're the best team or not, I don't know. But I did say in my blog, I do think the Orioles have the better bullpen between the two. So I think if they can get some help in that area, I think that might put them over the top and Hey, uh, Liam Hendricks, anybody? I think that's a guy who definitely might be moved and he might be a big name that everyone's going to be look at, looking at. But, um, you know, you look at the rest of the division, the Yankees are still solid, but really, if I'm being honest with you, not much has changed about them. It's still pretty much a lineup that's very much boom or bust. You know, they rely on the home run ball a lot and Paul, you've heard me have this discussion with you many a time. You know how much it drives me nuts when that happens. But, you know, when you really look at that lineup, obviously Anthony Rizzo has been having a great year at first base, and I would say he's definitely one of the anchors of that lineup. But, I mean, whenever you really think about the Yankees lineup, who else are you going to talk about but Aaron Judge? I mean, 18 home runs as of this recording and – Right now, he is pretty much on pace to, if not match, but at least get close to his insane home run total from a year ago. And, you know, look, I know, obviously, you're probably not going to want to hear this talk being a Mets fan, but I just have to say it. I feel like our fan base just takes him for granted. And the more you really watch what Aaron Judge has been doing for a few years now, Obviously, I know the contract is a lot of money. I know it probably could be, he probably could be getting ugly when, as soon as he gets older. But right now in the moment, he is just absolutely insane. And if you're a Yankee fan, you got to be thankful that he's on the team. And, you know, I know a lot of people are comparing to Jeter, but to me, he's more in comparison to Don Mattingly in the sense that he's really carrying the Yankees to relevance, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, Judge is going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, Judge is an amazing player. There's no doubt about that. And watching as a Mets fan, too, like he's just a stud year in and year out. And as far as the contract goes, in my opinion, you know my philosophy on it. If you win one World Series in the time frame of an eight-year, nine-year, ten-year contract, it's immediately justified. If Aaron Judge is a star player and you win one World Series. I don't. You can give me five bad seasons towards the end of the contract. I couldn't care less. Like if you can win a World Series, amazing. That's all. That's all you have to do. And the Yankees are very close. They're definitely going to be in the mix. Obviously, year in and year out. And you know they they keep knocking on the door, but. Um, eventually they'll be able to they'll be able to break through it'll be just it's just going to be interesting to see who else emerges in the AL and you know if, how long if if the Astros dynasty still continues or if they're done with um and you know who else kind of like raises up and poses as a threat to the Yankees now i got a bit of a question for you beforehand like do you think the do you think the Red Sox or the Blue Jays are going to overtake or do you think it's pretty much the the other three, and that's it. I yeah, I think that it's it's. 
honestly, I think the Yankees could possibly overtake the Rays um, just because it, you never know deep in the season how things go. But in my personal opinion, I think the Rays are going to hold on to it. And then I think I think the the Yankee, the um, Red Sox are going to fall a little bit. Blue Jays will stay in it because, you know, they're they're all around a good, solid team. But it'll be interesting to see. Um you know, how, how hot the Orioles stay for the rest of the season. You know, they're hot right now. Let's see how hot they stay for the entirety of the season. If the Blue Jays fizzle out like they usually do, um, that'll be very interesting. But Tampa Bay is the team to beat in the entire American League, probably all, in all of baseball right now. So it's tough to see them not win that division. Now, let me run through this quickly because we're running a little bit short on time. But obviously, I want to get through the rest of the American League. I think really the only other teams you can really see competing with them the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros, like I, whether or not the Astros are for, or the Rangers that is are for real. It's amazing how they're getting a lot of production out of their pitching staff. And it's not really so much from Jacob DeGrom because he's been missing a lot of time with injuries. But with that having been said, I think as, as well as they've been playing right now, I don't know if they're there yet. And I still think the Astros pose a legitimate threat to them. Yeah, I completely agree. I think when the Astros, you know, they finally got Altuve back. They're, they're going to start to get healthy and they're probably the more legitimate team. I think the Rangers have a good, have, have like, are starting to build something. Um, and they've been kind of like red hot out of the gate, but Eovaldi's pitching out of his mind right now. Um, they've, they've been getting insane production from like random guys that aren't Jacob DeGrom. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see if that keeps up. If they'll stay as a wild card threat, but again, you know, you can't. I don't care what the Astros' record is right now. You know, they've they've come back and they've won too many of these things to to count them out. And I also think the Rangers' lineup has absolutely been really good too. I mean, they have the yeah, they have, I think they have the biggest run differential out of everybody in baseball right now. Although, and it's funny because as good as their run differential is, that's how bad the Oakland A's have been. But that's a team that I can make fun of. Well, I don't know if I'd make so much fun of the team, more like the ownership. But if you've read my blogs, I think you know what I mean when I'm talking about roasting the Oakland A's. That's pretty much beating a dead horse at this point. And as far as the Central goes, I mean, the Twins are essentially a mystery box. Their lineup is essentially similar to that of the Yankees, but they're very streaky. And if they can pick this up, I think they really could make noise because they do have a good pitching staff. But I, I can never be sold in the Minnesota's wins based on their past history. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the central could go any which way, honestly, in my opinion, it really can. Um, it's difficult to trust the twins, um, but it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see like what, what actually happens. There are only, there's only been one team that comes out of the central. So to see who, yeah. who snags that is going to be interesting. Wouldn't surprise me if it's Cleveland, but they've had injuries as well. So I'm not sure. Now let's move over to the National League. And obviously we should be talking a lot about your division. The National League Eats says you are, of course, a diehard New York Mets fan. I don't think in anybody in that division is catching the Atlanta Braves. I think the Braves, I would argue that they might be the most complete team. But the problem is they've also lost a good fraction of their pitching staff. But even so, they're still pretty strong. Spencer Strider has been absolutely phenomenal. But I don't know about you, but I think the Mets might have slightly more potential than the Miami Marlins. I think the Marlins have some young pieces, but I don't know that they're there quite yet. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, it's tough to see the Braves not win it, too, because they've been so dominant. Um, I think that the Braves definitely have their issues, but the Mets out of the gate have definitely dealt with a lot of issues, especially with the pitching side. You know, not having Edwin Diaz is huge. 
Um, and, you know, the injuries and stuff, not having Jose Quintana so far for the entire year, who was a guy who's going to anchor that rotation for um, to be a third or fourth guy, uh, definitely hurts. And, you know, the inconsistency with Scherzer and Verlander, too. You know, they're both getting up there in age, so so that has definitely cost them a little bit. But, um, you know, I think they, they're not going to do too much unless they either make a move or they get – or they do some type of splash that kind of like wakes up the pitching. Cause I just, the, I just don't see them, their pitching being good enough to truly compete in the national league as of right now. I mean, they can make a big move and it completely, completely change. Verlander could become the old Verlander and then it could completely, completely change. But the way things are looking right now, you know, it's not, not too much, um, not too much hope that, you know, their pitching is going to become dominant. And then you go, we go over to the NL West. Dodgers, not a surprise that they're doing as well as they're doing. They still, it's not quite as good of a team as in years past, but you still have Freddie Freeman having an absolutely phenomenal year. Max Muncie is among the league leaders in 17 home runs. Not to mention, Pete Alonso is also in conversation for MVP2 with 20 home runs. And Jorge Soler is quietly helping out the Miami Marlins too. But back to the NL West for a bit. Arizona Diamondbacks have been quite a surprise. I mean, Zach Gallen is making an early case for a Cy Young Award winner. You think that team is sustainable, or do you think that's a team that's kind of been doing it with mirrors? I think they're going to they're going to be competitive as a wild card team. Um, I I definitely think so. I think the Padres will wake up too. You know they're too talented to not. Yeah. But uh, the Dodgers, I mean, Dodgers are the Dodgers, and they're always you always have to assume that they'll probably win the division. Um, but I like the Diamondbacks a lot, though. I really do. I like Zach Gallen. Dude might be the, as of right now, might be the NL Cy Young winner. Um, I think that they have a good young lineup too. Corbin Carroll's been great. Um, He's a rookie of the year candidate. Yeah, rookie of the year candidate, exactly. I think that they have an all-around very solid team, Um, and they're well-coached too. So I I could totally see them being a wild-card threat and staying competitive throughout the season, staying in the mix, you know, to possibly – you know, be the sixth seed or something like that uh, in the playoffs. But yeah, I like the Diamondbacks a lot. I agree. And last but not least, again, what is it with the central divisions that are usually pretty inferior? I mean, the Brewers are pretty much winning that that division, but it kind of feels like default, like they're doing it by default. But Paul, I've got a little bit of a hot take for it. I feel like the Pirates are kind of a bigger story just because they had that really good start, and I know they're kind of falling down, and I don't know that they're necessarily going to be good enough to finally get back into the playoffs for the first time since that brief run that they had with Clint Hurdle. But I like the team that they're building out there in Pittsburgh, and I think the only team out of the three that are in the bottom that really has any shot to you know improve is probably the St. Louis Cardinals based on past history. But even then, I have not been impressed with that division. Yeah. No, not at all. And I think that the Cardinals have completely underperformed. Pirates starting to fall again. Um, yeah, the Central Division, I mean, completely up in the air. Brewers are winning by default right now, but it, and it's tough to see. I mean, the Cardinals have just not gotten any pitching, and um, they haven't gotten a ton of production uh, from their offense. I mean, Goldschmidt's been great, but but besides that, it's it hasn't been their year. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the Brewers right now seem like the most complete team by the pretty much by default because they're not they're not really that complete of a team. But it's um, it's yeah, that's going to be another one that's very interesting coming down the stretch. Um, 
you know, because there's there's too many. All the, everybody's very mediocre in in the NL Central, pretty much. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to say the Giants have like been they've been down for the most part of the season. They've also kind of turned around, but again, I don't know that they're necessarily going to be able to compete with the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. But their bullpen's been really good. They've had. They have some young kids like Casey Schmidt and Patrick Bailey who are doing pretty well for them. And also Hanniger and Conforto have quietly been pretty productive. So I think maybe the Giants could sneak into a wild card team card spot if not like if they're not going to win the division. Because obviously I don't think anybody's catching the Dodgers or the Diamondbacks for that matter in that division. But they're a team that could potentially make noise again, also based off of past history and based on the way that they're on. Yeah. But um that's pretty much all we have for our show. Paul, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad you and I finally got to do an episode together. It feels like old times. But uh, before we sign off, tell us where we can find you on the Empty the Bench Sports Network. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome, Hank. Thank you for having me on the show, as always. Um, you can check me out at the 3 and D ETB on Twitter and Instagram. Um, the 3 and D new college basketball and NBA show here on the empty the bench network first episode aired on monday we got another good episode coming to you next monday um with all the nba finals that you that nba finals content that you need all the nba draft content you need it's gonna be great so everybody go check that out um up on the empty the bench podcast network youtube channel our episodes there and go give us a follow on uh, both twitter and instagram we got at the three and DTB. Awesome. And uh, you can find Paul and a lot of other great content on the uh, Empty the Bench podcast network. But of course, if you want to do that, please don't forget to follow us on all of our social medias. You can follow us at Game on ETB, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or of course, YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, please don't forget to hit that big red button down below. Give us a like, give us a comment, let us know your thoughts. We want to hear from you guys. And of course, If you want to read some more of the blogs on the website, please don't forget to check us out at etbpodcast.com. I may or may not have another blog up my sleeve as well as uh, Jennifer as well. We both have been pumping out a lot of blogs on this network, but a lot of fun. We've got a lot of good stuff coming for you guys, but you have just watched another episode of Game On. And until next time, I'm Hank and Dicker, and hopefully I will be back with Johnny next time on the Empty the Bench Sports Network or Podcast Network.